We speak out now, hold these events to connect with others and further our understanding of this society so that we can fight to transform it. And as revolutionary socialists, we know we can't vote in politicians to make these transformations. It's up to us. And this is not something that will just happen. It will take our collective conscious efforts and to be part of building an organization that is able to take on the tasks ahead of us. That's why as one of our activities, we take on some of the questions we confront to discuss in these monthly town halls. Unfortunately, our original speaker, Andreas Malm, scholar and author of books, including Fossil Capital, Corona Climate, Chronic Emergency, and White Skin, Black Fuel on the Danger of Fossil Fascism, was not able to join us today from Sweden and provide his perspectives on the climate crisis we face. We hope he will have the opportunity to join us before the next Earth Day. But today, we would still like to provide a framework and a perspective about the climate crisis that we are facing, and that can provide a basis for a discussion on what we can and must do if we want a livable future for all of us. It is only a couple of weeks before Earth Day, and there is no moment too soon to be talking about the climate emergency that we have been and will continue to face, while also in the throes of the ongoing violence of war in Ukraine, Palestine, and Yemen, to name a few as well as the violence of many of our lives and the ongoing pandemic. We know it can feel overwhelming and unstoppable, but these crises are not isolated and it is through our understanding of the source of the problems we face that we can really begin to address them. Almost 52 years ago, people in the US first recognized Earth Day by demonstrating against the abuses to our natural world and calling on politicians and corporations to respect our environment. That public outcry of an estimated 20 million people in the US, one out of every 10 at the time, launched a movement that forced politicians to create the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA. Yet, we see the limitations and the emptiness of such efforts by the politicians when we look at where we are now. Still hundreds of millions of people demonstrating around the world against a worsening crisis. Today, we know much more than we did 52 years ago, we know that it is not just a matter of our waterways being used as sewers for the corporations or the impact of clear-cutting forests or not recycling household waste. We know the planet is being heated up by human activity, mainly the burning of coal, oil, and gas. And we know that the oil companies and all the corporations that rely on these carbon-based products for their production, from pharmaceuticals to fertilizers to plastics to animal feeds and much more, have a deeply vested interest in continuing those practices. In brief summary, the emission of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases into our atmosphere that are abundant during the burning of fossil fuels has a cascading effect on our world. These gases can absorb and slowly radiate heat that would normally escape the Earth's atmosphere, which warms the environment we now live in. In 2015, at the Paris Accords, the United Nations Climate Change Conference a limit of temperature increase was identified as 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit beyond pre-industrial levels, after which we would face major life-threatening crises. This may sound like a small amount of change and in local geographic areas, warming has already increased by this much. But on a global scale, climate models showed that after this benchmark of increase, cascading and runaway effects would occur to create irreversible changes to our ecosystems and world. Even very small increments in change after this point begin to mean tens of millions of more climate-related deaths. 
the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, again recently reported dire news about the likelihood of irreversible damage to certain ecosystems and a, a speed and a magnitude of destruction that will almost certainly mean billions of climate-related deaths. It is now very unlikely that we will be able to stay below the 1.5 degrees Celsius target. In 2021, we were already at a 1.1 degrees Celsius increase on a global average. This image from the recent report shows trajectories from different scenarios. And even in the most extreme case of decreasing to very low emissions, essentially nothing, we will hit that 1.5 degrees Celsius limit by 2035. Under the current course of climate change, the IPCC report predicts that by mid-century, less than 30 years from now, up to 3 billion people will experience chronic or long-term water scarcity. Already, just about half of the world's population experiences severe water scarcity for at least one month out of each year. And we must realize that the figures produced by this agency are usually based on the most conservative estimates. The invention of the steam engine in the early 18th century transformed European society with machines replacing manual labor and the ability to mass produce weaponry and other tools. Efforts to industrialize with the use of coal tied the exploitation of natural resources to colonization and the exploitation of labor. Fossil fuels became a means to concentrate power and quickly build industrial empires that could then use even more fossil fuels, a completely unsustainable yet profitable cycle. The problems of coal-choked air and diseases among miners and other impacts were identified as problems then. But now we not only have a better grasp on the science of our warming planet, but also can clearly see the main source of the ongoing crisis. As early as 1957, studies funded by Humble Oil, Exxon's predecessor, predicted negative atmospheric impacts of carbon dioxide from the burning of fossil fuels and warned that there was only a, quote, time window of five to 10 years before humanity must make the critical decisions, unquote. The company responded not by changing its practices, but by instead placing itself at the forefront of climate research. Their climate models were so advanced that they accurately predicted in 1982 what the atmospheric rate of carbon dioxide would be in 2019. But Exxon, Shell, BP, GM, Mobil, and others needing to continue profiting off of the infrastructure they created, publicly distanced themselves from the science they were funding. They didn't just distance themselves, they began an attack on the science. Exxon especially launched a campaign of pseudoscientific climate denial, which they continue today in a less open way through their lobbyists and their efforts to convince us that there are safe ways to continue this reliance on carbon as an energy source. The third and final report of this year's IPCC report that came out just this past week took it a step further in exposing the role that the fossil fuel industry has and will continue to play. The report lays out the fact that the primary force stopping us from adequately addressing the climate change we face are the interests of fossil fuels and the power that those interests hold. The full report in almost 3000 pages details the role of the fossil fuel industry in the impending crisis. But the representatives of the interests of the fossil fuel industry on the panel removed the description of that role that fossil fuel industry has played in its summary for policymakers. This is the portion of the report that we will hear about because it is reported on in most media coverage. In reality, how many of us will read the 3000 pages? 
So the research is basically ignored and the destruction of the earth continues. This is the 22nd year of the IPCC releasing assessment reports and the repeat of the same corporate cover-up. It's what came from the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference, where world governments claim to address these issues, and yet fossil fuels are being bur burned at an increasing rate. And capitalism's globalized reliance on fossil fuels continues to take priority over the destruction of our environments. We could spend hours listing the ways that we've seen more frequent and more severe natural disasters and the list of species and ecosystems that have seen extinction or drastic changes that we don't even yet know the full consequences of. That's not our goal today, but we do need to grasp and remind ourselves of what is being done to the planet that we and other life forms depend on for our existence. Living in the US, it can seem as though these types of natural disasters only impact small pockets of people. Folks who live in coastal cities, forests, floodplains, or deserts. But the reality is that these severe weather events and other more hidden climate effects are not isolated. They are the consequence of the functioning of this globalized capitalist system. In recent years, we have seen increases in severe weather events like hurricanes, wildfires, tornadoes, and droughts. Of course, natural weather events were a part of pre-industrial climate. But when we are talking about climate change or climate disruption, we are looking at the long-term trends and long-term effects of human impact on these global systems. Besides the immediate and dramatic effects, these have long-lasting impacts. More severe and more variable weather events mean unstable conditions for growing food, the loss of land that supports billions of people, and water scarcity. And this change in climate decreases biodiversity, the number of plant and animal species that exist in a system, destroying whole ecosystems that we depend on. Global pandemics, like the one we are still in the midst of, are increasingly likely as the climate warms and as resources dwindle. Deforestation as a result of the demands of industrial agriculture and factory farming of animals continues to rip through existing forests, which act as barriers between wild animals and large human populations. The destruction of these barriers create pathways for viruses, which exist in those wild animal populations and allows them to move into larger human populations where they can spread and can create pandemics like COVID-19. We can also look to global conflicts happening around the world and see how tied they are to climate change, both as cause and effect, and their overall structural ties to our globalized system of food production and economy that impacts all of us. As climate events reduce the amount of land and resources available to us, so-called world leaders are ramping up military spending and preparing for increased conflicts that they will try to get us to support and fight. Increased wars and militaries intensify the climate crisis by disrupting food supply and creating an even deeper reliance on fossil fuel use. We just have to look at Ukraine as one awful example of what we will face as wars over land and resources create never-ending cycles of those in power taking what they want for themselves and leaving the rest of the world with nothing. This war on Ukraine is a partial reflection of aspects of the climate crisis, both the causes and effects. It has exposed the total reliance of industrial economies on oil and gas. While US and European governments are claiming success about the huge impact the sanctions that the US and Europe put on Russia, freezing accounts, 
companies shutting down their operations and seizing some billionaires' yachts. In reality, Russia is a major supplier of oil, and European powers have been buying nearly $1 billion worth of oil a day, obviously undercutting the sanctions. For them, oil is more important than life. The U.S. has pledged to release 1 million barrels a day out of its reserves, plus 30 million of the 60 million pledged by European and Asian nations. As George W. Bush said, capitalism is addicted to oil. He didn't actually say capitalism. He said we, but we know that it's this system, not us. And as if to prove that point, Biden has told companies with oil leases on federal lands to increase production, and if they don't, they could be fined. This comes from the president, who is supposedly the champion of the environment. The U.S. Department of Defense is already the world's single largest institutional producer of greenhouse gases in the world. On the other hand, we can see what happens when agricultural production is disrupted, whether by climate or war. Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe, a major producer of wheat, corn, rye, soybeans, and many other food sources. Ukraine is the fifth top producer of wheat in the world. 71% of Ukrainian land is agricultural. Due to the destruction in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia, the UN projects that global food prices could increase by 22% this year and that 830 million people will suffer from undernutrition. Attempting to fill the gap just in wheat production is unlikely due to the impact of climate disruption on many wheat producing areas. It is likely that this crisis and its fallout will be even worse over the next couple of years. And instead of unleashing existing technologies to produce alternative energies, the system continues on the same path, increasing oil production and building up their militaries in preparation to battle over the control of resources. Ukraine also shows us the impact of massive displacement of people. In a little over a month, 11 million Ukrainians have been forced from their homes, four and a half million fleeing to other countries and seven and a half million displaced within Ukraine. We see this massive displacement around the world. The number of climate refugees and people who have lost their homes and livelihoods due to immediate natural disaster and more insidiously changing climate patterns now outnumber the refugees due to human conflicts. The changing climate is expanding uninhabitable environments like deserts and floodlands. Warming temperatures with sea level rise are predicted to submerge at least one fifth of Bangladesh resulting in the forced migration of 35 million people. Bangladesh is also a major producer of rice, wheat, cotton, meat, poultry, eggs, and fishery products in the region. Not only are millions of people being displaced now and in the future, but those productive farmlands will no longer exist. By 2050, the tropical dry forest region that spans from Southern Mexico to Panama, known as the Dry Corridor in Central America, will become too dry to produce food and water and is predicted to displace up to 4 million people who depend on grain and crops for their livelihood. And we're already seeing the impact and the response of the US government to people fleeing the violence of climate change, the violence of poverty and the pictorial regimes in their countries. The most recent models predict that by 2050, less than 30 years from now, over one in every 50 people around the world will be forced out of their home due to climate change. And that is based on current climate models, which, as I mentioned, are conservative. These changes are not linear either. We are beginning to see feedback loops that accelerate climate warming, 
For example, as ice melts down to permafrost levels, deep layers of ice that remain below freezing temperatures for two or more years, it not only raises the sea level and warms the ocean, which in turn alters entire ecosystems, but it also releases carbon in the form of methane that was stored for long periods of time in organic matter trapped in those deep layers of ice, emitting carbon that is not yet accounted for in models. It is estimated that two times the amount of carbon as is currently in the atmosphere is stored in the northern permafrost region. And its release means accelerating climate change beyond what we have already seen or even predicted. In another example, forests like the Amazon rainforest that serve as carbon sinks that absorb carbon from our atmosphere will actually begin to release carbon when temperatures increase past a certain point at around 90 degrees Fahrenheit. If all of the stored carbon in the Amazon rainforest were emitted at once, it would be equivalent to 25 years of global fossil fuel emissions. And parts of the Amazon rainforest are already at this point. Deforestation has been linked to a long-term decrease in rainfall and an increase in temperature of at least 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit during the dry months that have pushed areas of the rainforest to release carbon and also be more susceptible to wildfires. These are only a few of the complex and intertwined relationships that we have with our, that we have with our climate to show how a fossil fuel-based infrastructure and economic system deeply change all aspects of our world. It is clear that the dumping of 34 billion tons of carbon into the atmosphere every year and the warming of the ocean equivalent to seven Hiroshima atomic bombs detonating each second, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, is not a choice any right-minded group of individuals would make. Those who control industrial production today don't have a choice other than to proceed on this suicidal course. They're guided by the demands of capitalism. Every decision made by those who control industrial production around the planet is guided by one goal, to maximize profit. If they fail at that, they're out of the game. Despite knowing about the effects of carbon emissions since the late 1960s, capitalist interests have maintained an investment in fossil fuel infrastructure, and the effects are accelerating. This is why they and their governments, whose purpose is to protect the interests of capital, cannot be trusted with the future of this planet. In the US, like other parts of the world, they have actively promoted climate change denial and diverted many people's attention away from the systematic destruction of the environment and instead focused on those forced to flee their homes due to climate disruption and the violence in their home countries, the very same people experiencing the most disastrous effects of the climate crisis. Turning people's blame against immigrants, climate refugees, and one another takes the focus off of the real perpetrators of these crimes against humanity and keeps us divided between nations, races, and religions. The crisis we confront today is the most serious one that humans have ever faced. The, billionaire, the billionaires can fantasize about colonizing Mars, but our home is not theirs to destroy. The problem that we confront today may feel overwhelming, but our time to act is now. As one of the co-chairs of the IPCC said, any further delay in concerted global action will miss a brief and rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. And we know we can't look to them for action. Every moment that business as usual, burning fossil fuels and prioritizing profit over sustainability continues, more and more people and ecosystems are destined to suffer from climate change. Those outcomes won't change unless we change them. We have seen those at the table at the climate summit 
respond to the mounds of scientific evidence with empty promises and promote the continued destruction of our earth. The changes we really need in this narrow window of time must come from the majority, making decisions based on all of our needs and the needs of life as we know it. And to do that, we must collectively organize right now, just as those began to do over half a century ago when they couldn't look at the earth's destruction and do nothing. We can look around us at what is already happening and see that there is no choice but to act. Already in many parts of the underdeveloped world, food and water insecurity are permanent states of being. The choice is between death and action. The possibilities that are presented to us can feel and look grim, but these are under the assumptions of maintaining a capitalist system that we already know does not hold the interests of our planet or our species. Imagine the possibilities that we could create and the problems that we could tackle if our collective efforts were freed from the economic and fossil fuel infrastructures that bind us. Of course, this task is not simple or easy. It means confronting the power that this tiny minority uses to maintain its control. That is why we need to build an organization that unifies these fights and upholds the aim to take the entire system down. How else could we possibly fight this beast? Our perspective must push beyond each individual fight, whether it is attacks on the job, in the streets by police, evictions, or the polluting and destruction of our environment, just to name a few. Putting out each wildfire as it appears does not stop the increasing cause of wildfires. We can look to the first Earth Day over 50 years ago and see just a tiny glimpse of the possibilities that exist when the normal is no longer acceptable. But this isn't something we can sit and wait to let happen, but to actively build together where we are now. What could this look like? Around the world, it is we who grow and harvest the food, distribute our basic necessities, stock the grocery shelves, maintain the sewers, and treat diseases. Imagine if our choices about how to do these things were driven by need rather than profit. The 18 million starving Yemeni people wouldn't be begging for food from a wealthy UN who isn't willing to contribute. The tons of food that are thrown out because it is not profitable could be distributed to the billions who are food insecure. We could put our efforts behind building new infrastructures while still being guaranteed food and shelter and income rather than being forced to upkeep the existing ones to make a paycheck. Poverty has no place in a future society, but these aren't things we can implement in isolation or without coordinated efforts against a capitalist structure that creates and maintains these problems. We need to treat the destruction of the environment like the emergency that it is. We cannot afford to sit on the sidelines and let the capitalist system dictate what gets produced and how, and what gets neglected. Our own actions and movements can redirect our course towards healing the planet and caring for human needs. We need to take the keys away from those in power and put ourselves in the driver's seat to design and construct our own future. Mobilizing against their projects like pipelines and fracking is necessary, but we need to think about what ultimately needs to be done. We need to mobilize where we have power and begin to organize for a social revolution in order to end capitalism, to implement an emergency restructuring of our economy and larger society on a global scale. And again, we speak out now, host these events, first to provide a framework, but also because we see what lays ahead of us and know that it is us, the working people of the global world who must organize to stop it. And we are looking for others who can't stand to see the state of the world and not do something.